0: Hello and welcome to Between Two Cairns. I'm Yohai. Hi, I'm Brad. And today, we're not going to review anything. Say, what? We're going to do a show and tell, show and share, share and show, whatever you call it. And uh, I hope that that's good enough for you listeners. If it's not, uh, too bad. Yeah, turn it off. Yeah, yeah, nobody's forcing you. Put on the radio. Let's see what's on the FM, you know? I can't listen to the radio anymore. I just what? don't have enough control.
1: Oh, no, no. Radio is good. I love surrendering control to the will of, you know, the disc jockey. Yeah, it's
0: so bad. I mean, there have been some really good college radio stations in various places I've lived in. Love college that, radio. Yeah. No, that are, those are great. I've discovered, like, I, yeah. remember, I remember randomly turning the radio on in... San Luis Obispo, California, and discovering uh-huh. the airplane over the sea. Neutral Milk Hotel. Right, by Neutral Milk Hotel. Thank you. Um, I remember turning it on in the middle of that song and my brain just lighting up. Same deal with um, uh, that band, Elf Power. Are you familiar with oh, that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're an Elf and Six. Great collective. Athens, Georgia. Big fan.
0: Yeah, I discovered them as well through college radio in. Um, yeah. Uh, Cambridge, the college radio uh-huh. there came the name 88.1, I think. Yeah. So uh-huh. I, I, I absolutely appreciate that, but <laughs> we love, <laughs> we
1: love FM, not, we love college radio. It's
0: not quite, I, when I was young, uh-huh. my dad and I would drive great distances for his work. And I used to, yeah, I used to go with him cause I didn't like school and we would, it would be really early in the morning, like five or six. And he would turn on AM radio in the yeah. central Valley of California and it would just be alien conspiracy theorists and, <laughs> and just like the craziest stuff. And he loved it. Cause he first off, he couldn't really understand all of it at the time, English wise, right. but also yeah. it was just so kooky and weird. So I have, I have a very positive association with radio. I'm not trying to, to diss it.
1: Yeah. I
0: just, when I get in my car now, I have five minutes before I get to where I'm going. Uh-huh. And I, I, I just want to hear like one good song. You know, yeah. just one. So I don't want to risk it. I'll, I'll. You know, this morning, this morning we were li- uh-huh. my kid and I were listening to Black Street as we were driving, okay. and no, you know, Great. just no diggity because it was in uh-huh. the Ninja Turtles movie, and so I was like, hey, you
1: know, <laughs> cool.
0: You want know, to hear uh-huh. no diggity? And then you know, maybe I can pivot into you know, uh, who would they mix for that? Um, will whether Ah. Oh, that, that 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 that's a it's a great mix. I can't remember the name.
1: The, like the sample. From yeah, who they sampled in? Yeah,
0: it's so good. ding
1: dinga ding ding. That part I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Yeah, great. Anyways, <laughs> how do we get? Yeah, here? Could we talk haven't... about. I could talk about radio all day. i I want to shout out one radio station. When I was uh I was like seventeen. Uh, my dad, we were driving somewhere, uh, Eastern Ohio, go, going to check out a college. It was very late at night, and. There, we couldn't find anything on the radio. As we switched to AM, we found this radio station. Let me know any if any of you Buckeyes know about this one or if it's still out there. I really pray to God it is. But we found this AM radio station that would play two Frank Sinatra songs and then a commercial for uh, sauerkraut. <laughs> and then it would play two more Frank Sinatra songs and then it would play a sauerkraut commercial
0: forever. That's, and we listened to that for wh- a long time. Why? like, sa- what why is
1: this? Why sauerkraut? They had one sponsor, it was some kind of sauerkraut company, and I was like, I felt like I was in a different dimension. I was like, this is like someone's idea of a radio station. This is not like real life. Like, where am I? It's like, Um, it's uh, human
0: music. There's a freaking morning. Yeah, it
1: it is. It's like, ah, time for commercial. Delicious (laughs) sauerkraut. Now, more music. Frank Sinatra, Mister Blue Eyes, <laughs> yeah. sing it. Me so, and my shadow. Here we go.
0: By the way, that 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 um sample was from um a Bill Bill Withers song. Bill Withers. I, I think I wanted to say I was, I was in my head thinking Will Bithers. and I thought that can't be right.
1: Will <laughs> Bithers, Yeah, B- that's, Bill uh, Withers. That's a beautiful name, Will Bithers. Anyhow, let's move on. Let's read we got a We got a question from the Moot Sack. Let's, let's pull it out. Let's, let's dust it off. Uh-huh. Ring out the, the juice. Okay. It's both dusty and wet, apparently. Oh. Let's read the question.
0: This is a long one, so I'm just going to skip to the part that's a question. It comes from Ben Nash, who emailed us at between 2 at gmail.com. How do you all engage with violence in RPGs? I think Yochai said something about combat being fun. I agree, though most combat systems quickly get monotonous for me, so I love finding more creative ways of engaging. Do the two of you like combat that really gets into the details of weapons or strategy? A visceral, sensory description? Or are you drawn more to the quick or minimal side of things? Uh, So, I don't remember saying combat was fun. I mean, it can be fun. Depends on the system. I don't think combat well, is fun in 5E, so I don't know what that's a reference to. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. There's some other context before that, right? Uh um, Yeah,
0: probably. And I'm not disputing what Ben said, um which thank yeah. you Ben for the very nice email and question.
1: Uh I feel like I could talk about this a lot. So, let's I want to hear your question. I want to hear your answer okay, first. Okay, sure.
0: Yeah. Um in the systems that I prefer violence is a last resort, not because I'm against violence, I quite enjoy fictional violence. I do I think it's cool. I like spotlight management. I like the zooming in and cinematic nature of violence and and all that. I, I just feel that within OSR games, it can be such a fuel for critical thinking and problem solving that it's to me worth not having like like the balance for me is to make lethal encounters that drive intelligent problem solving. I much prefer the problem-solving over the violence, despite also liking the violence. So, for instance, in my West Marches game from this past Sunday, the group was way overpowered. I mean, I'm running Cairn, so it doesn't have levels, but I made a very deadly dungeon, and there were four PCs. And they just, frankly, got their asses handed to them. Uh, These kind of reptilian monsters kind of based on the Gorn from Star Trek uh,
1: <laughs> nice.
0: uh, really, really did a number on them. And they were able to escape and did so in some clever ways. Not quite the ways I had hoped. Like I had written some I- environmental puzzles that had they discovered those puzzles first, they would have thought, oh, we should use those puzzles against these creatures. But they didn't. They went some back way. Then they completely skipped all all the environmental puzzles. So, uh-huh. so it did not work out how I planned, which is the nature of these kinds of games. Um, that's b- fun, but I, I still feel that it was worth it because the deadliness forced a sense of panic and critical thinking and care, carefulness that I don't think you, you would have in other systems. I felt that way about, about Dungeon World specifically and other PBTA games. I felt that they weren't deadly enough and there was too many stop gaps to dying and so uh, i prefer systems that have a a ramped up lethality i don't believe that's the only way to achieve the kind of gameplay i'm looking for Uh, ben milton is famous for writing the labyrinth rpg slash adventure game and it does not use violence it uses an alternative um consequence than for For violence, which makes sense. It's kind of a game for kids. So it's obvious. Obviously, you don't have to go that route, but I personally feel like violence is really useful for the kind of gameplay I prefer. And, of course, systems of combat and violence in other other games are usually too mathy for me, which I know is Mm -hmm. a me problem, but it's still true. I do not miss spending, I don't know. 45 minutes, an hour on a single combat encounter in 5th edition. Don't miss that at all. Um, even when I, you know, had everyone put their cell phones on the tables, <laughs> people are still waiting there, and it's not really interesting. So, uh, yeah, I remember someone telling me once, a guy who had been running D&D for, you know, three and a half decades, telling me that his main goal running any game of D&D is to completely avoid combat, to get them as far from combat as possible um, <laughs> and he he now plays pbta games interestingly
1: yeah there you go uh
0: so that is my response please what do you think brad yeah,
1: yeah i mean i think about i mean i think about this concept a lot um like speaking broadly about violence um like, i feel like the older i get the more um repulsed i am about like violence like broadly speaking um, like, you know, I used to, like, carry a pocket knife, you know, you know, opening boxes and stuff. But, you know, I defy you. Anyone who carries a pocket knife has some kind of back of your mind fantasy about using it to defend yourself or, like, be heroic, you know, uh, be, be heroic. Anyway, even that, I can no longer bring myself to carry an instrument capable of violence anymore. Like, I'm repulsed by the idea of violence. I don't want to hurt anyone. I don't want to kill anyone. I just, like, Reading news and just like living in this world makes me just, uh, yeah, want me, it makes me want to go live in a cave and like put bells on my feet so I don't step on any bugs, you know? That said, uh, violence is awesome. <laughs> I, you know, I am a boy who grew up in America, or rather I should say I am a person who grew up in the world. So like I've, you know, I've been conditioned from an early age to see how awesome violence is like my conditioning has been conditioned, you know, like I'm in it. I love, uh, I I love to see cool fights in movies. I love to see it in games. So yeah, there's some tension there. (laughs) Um, that's really what, um, that's like kind of the main inspiration behind my one module. I made temple of a thousand swords, which is kind of a temple to violence. It's like a sword God's temple. Like everything in that temple is pointless violence. And, um, you know, spoilers, like at the end, the God like gives you this quest where you have to go kill seven people in seven days or you die. And I kind of wanted that to feel like <laughs> like you probably have already killed seven people if you're playing, you know, D&D. But like I wanted that to be <laughs> a challenge where you'd be have to think like, oh, who is like worthy or not worthy of death? Like this is kind of a hard or, or or maybe at least a, 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 a weird quest that makes you think about what to do with violence. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's kind of dancing around the answer. Um, violence, I think, should always feel like kind of scary and unpredictable. I mean, you know, you can I have hurt myself in so many stupid ways and not because of like intentional harm, <laughs> you know, brought to me, but like side products of of any kind of like physical activity can like be very damaging. Um, I don't know. So that, like just like feeling myself get older and like hurting my neck because I stepped off of like a, a curb wrong. You know what I mean? Makes me think like violence should always be scary. Anything could hurt you. Anything could take you out. So I prefer like kind of higher lethality systems where you kind of have to really test out like if it's wise to fight, like really measure twice before you jump in um but that said like i don't know man awesome sword violence is just cool and i I like it all so i'm a conflicted person okay i'm rolling around i'm screaming at the night i don't know what i like anymore uh but swords are cool that's that's the end of my rant have you ever been in a fight Brad? yeah yeah i've been in a fight so
0: did that does that have positive or negative uh
1: no wasn't cool wasn't fun would not uh repeat okay okay yeah all right. Yeah, have this, you been in a fight? You've been in fights. Have, You're a fighter. I have
0: been in many fights. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I've just, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It is something, um, yeah. <laughs> I have enjoyed some of the fights I've been in and not others. Wow. Not others.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I, I. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, maybe an after show show we can talk about our fights, but uh, they were not. There is one that I have a very cinematic memory of, only because of the uh-huh. the context. Now, I'm sure it looked ridiculous. You know, you ever see kids fight? I mean, I was 17, but there's sure. there's this sort of um, silliness and uh, acting that happens when you when you fight. And I, yeah, I, I, I I'm sure it's embarrassing, but but, but I <laughs> I
1: just no like this, fights are not. Like I don't know, a real fight is not beautiful. No. It's not like Batman no. punches the guy and the guy right. falls down and disappears from the narrative. Right, like, right. It's yeah. it's it's a lot more gristly. Right.
0: Yeah. So thanks for the question, Ben. ben I think it's an important one to consider the impact yeah, of violence that's and
1: this, Yeah, I'm calling. I'm calling my therapist after this one, man. We have got more to process. <laughs> yeah.
0: What do you think about violence in video games, therapist? Well.
1: <laughs> I mean, isn't it like a sobering kind of thing when you're playing Skyrim and you're like, you know, you're going through your caves, you're having a good time, you're, 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 you know, you're doing your thing and you're like, let's check the stats. And it's like, oh, you have killed 800 people. What? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) like, it's like, what? Don't show me that. Like, like, that's, that's, you know, that's the attendance of like a minor league baseball game, man. That's like messed up. Yeah. You know, anyway. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Okay. So what we're gonna do today is We're talking about settings. It's a settings show. We haven't really said right. that. So
0: we're both gonna right. Well you get I was gonna say for the frame, I'll talk about something, you'll talk about it, and then I'll talk about my second thing and then you'll talk about your second.
1: Well I'm thing. going there. It's it's the settings show. We talk about modules, but we haven't talked about settings. We like settings, we bias the settings. We haven't talked about the settings. Right. We we both like settings a lot. We don't
0: review them. Do you want to talk about why we don't typically review settings?
1: Well, I think um, it's hard to approach a setting objectively. Settings can have many different objectives. They are very broad. Um, and really, a setting, I think, gives an, a writer room to really kind of approach a setting in a lot of different ways. It can be histories, it can be culture, it can be religion, it can be an atlas, it can be all of those or none of those. Um, so there's just so many ways to approach a setting that I think it's hard to look at one and say, oh, this is good or this is not good. You know, it's uh, it's too big.
0: Yeah, and I think part of the problem with the with settings also is where do they begin and end? Yeah. Does a setting include the second book in the series? Yes. I mean, is, is for instance, Warm Skin a setting? Sure. Well, it's going to be Dolman Wood soon, but... Right. How I have I have eight wormskin zines. Right. Do those count as an entire setting? I guess we could do one
1: episode per. You know.
0: Right.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. So what do you look for in a setting when you're when you're picking up settings? Like, what do you? Is there something that you're that makes you want to use it?
0: So so I will run a module straight up. Right. Right. I'll mod, I'll, I'll no problem running a module, mm-hmm. but. Uh, in terms of what I like to read, as if it was a novel, and also use in random places, uh, nothing beats the setting. I-, I love just picking apart one bit of a setting and bringing that into my game. Mm. I don't need to be in that setting in order to use it. It doesn't feel as much pressure as an adventure or, or as a uh, a dungeon, right? Mode, you know, like, like like I might take one room from Barrow of the Elf Elf King, for instance, and reverse it like i had a i had a a encounter in a game recently where it was basically a reversed version of uh the well you encounter in bear of the elf king (laughs)
1: that's what i thought it probably was yeah
0: and i really enjoyed doing that because i i didn't you know really need to worry about the context but with a setting i feel totally free like oh this is an amazing encounter on a riverbank i'm gonna use that you know so so settings are just freeing and they're so enjoyable to read, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they're also much harder to critique adequately. I think because the overall structure varies so much.
1: Yeah. I feel like you're, you're into world building, you know, very much. So I I feel like you must enjoy that aspect of it. Just seeing the macro, you know, stories of a, of a land and of peoples and, and et cetera. Uh,
0: Yeah. I find world building very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think, Good world building that is also gameable is yeah. magnificent. Yeah. You know? So yeah, absolutely I, I I will that's one of my not guilty pleasures, just pleasures sure. is picking up a new setting book. Um sometimes I regret not buying the printed version because I feel like just being able to crack it open. Right. Like like I would never buy the Dolblinwood PDF. Just not worth yeah, it yeah. to me. I want that thing. I want to be able to open it and look through it and reference it and uh, have it in right. my Right. I think you know? we're
1: both excited about the Dalman Wood books. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm excited about getting 6 books.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. They're up to 7 or 8 now. It's it's a lot. Um I like settings. I think they supplement some of the things that I'm not great at with um being a game master, specifically like creating um a geography, creating um like cultures that make sense. Um, it's just a lot to think about, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I struggle with geography, like, okay, if there's a mountain here, then where does it make sense for there to be rivers? Where does it make sense for there to be, you know, forests, et cetera? Like, I know the basics, but just having like a map where someone's already thought about those things, uh, is helpful and it's just not a fun part of world creation for me. I don't want to draw coastlines, you know, just give me a map I can plop on the table. Um, but yeah, I like... I like just as a, the framework, you know, I th- think I thrive more in the micro. I just like zoom in on a city, zoom in on a few cast, you know, smaller cast of characters on smaller dungeon adventure sites. So getting like the macro made for me, I think, frees me a lot to to do the kind of gaming that I like to do. Um, so that's why I like, yeah, but let's hear, let's let's start. Let's hear What's what do you first bring to the show and share? What setting do you want to present here today first?
0: Alright, so I have two, as I already said. Yeah. Um, the first is called The Electrum Archive. Yep. Issue number one. Uh, how many pages is this thing? 70 page. <laughs> this is a 70 page zine. Um, it is by uh, Emil Bovin, who folks might also know from uh, uh, DERF. Are you familiar with DERF? Oh,
1: we're, we're pro-DERF on this podcast. I'm pro-DERF and I vote.
0: So DERF is a Hack of Nave with some Into the Odd elements. It's pretty cool. It's free. Highly recommended. There's some good adventures for it. And Emil also does art as well, like writing or writing and art together. This is illustrated partly by Emil, but also has um, a number of other contributors, including Logan Stahl, yep. uh, who I think did the cover. Lotus yeah, did terrific. the cover. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And Charles Ferguson Avery nice, and nice. Tom Dugin. Uh Yeah, really beautiful production. Uh, black and white, except for the cover. Um, oh, and it has a, a really nice fold-out map of the setting, which is called Orn, O-R-N. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, uh, Emil's art works really well with the contributors, which is unusual, I think. And um, I really think it comes together well it is a science fantasy zine um the way that i would describe this in i think perhaps the nerdiest sentence I'm, i've ever uttered is the electrum archive is vaults of varn by way of into the odd and white hack <laughs> it's it is fairly into the odd ish you know there's no rolls to hit okay. and it's got um so this
1: se- this setting has a system is what you're saying
0: yeah, let me ex- let me ex- explain. Okay. It is a setting with an included system. Okay, got it. Um, the <laughs> so the inspirations on in the back. The first one is Cairn, Second one is Mouse Ritter. Third is Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and fourth is um, both Pseudo Cars Wake uh-huh. and Whitehack, um, yeah. which are both by Chris- uh, Christian Merstram and. Um, Uh, You know, they've got UVG by Luca Reitz and Dark Sun and and then Vaults of Arn is on here. So you can kind of get the idea. It also lists, you know, Mothership and uh, Miyazaki stuff and through Ultan's Door and Wormskin. So I think the way that I would describe this is science fantasy, but from a more positive angle. It's not dying Earth. You know, it's not like yes, it's sort of dying earth and that there used to be like an elder race and then they all died. And now everyone's just kind of picking through their wreckage, mm-hmm. which I love, by the way, it's my favorite, uh, setting is sure. <laughs> Disappeared elder race, leaving behind weird ass relics that we call magic. Like I, I just mm, yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty positive and it has a sort of, um, <sighs> I would say the it, it's not dry. Yeah, there's deserts, but there's, like, jungles and um, old stuff with new stuff. I, I, I And there's kind of um, – there is a post-apocalyptic but still optimistic flair that I don't think you see very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it sort of reminds me of – there's this comic called The Gardener, mm-hmm. Uh, by matt Emons. it sort of reminds me of that if you're familiar anyhow that's the setting in brief i'm not doing a great job of it uh there's some really wonderful stuff in here that you can just pull out and use in any system frankly it's full of uh encounters and um interesting plot hooks and what's cool is that it's separated by area it's it, it doesn't cover everything that you can see on the map, but yeah. it covers a lot of it. And so, uh, for instance, there will be a page in which, um, here, I'll take one out right now. Uh, so for example, um, I'm going to get to, I'm just going to pick a random page here. Uh, Oh yes. There's a lot of great factions by the way. Um, so the electrum C, that's the name of the location. And you'll first have some flavor text and then right next to it, travel options, like how long it takes to get there and what you might encounter on the way. And there's usually two or three of these. Then you'll have a um, half spread with all the major locations written in very concise and interconnected fashion with usually a nice illustration. So I'll just give you an example of one here. Mir well, seven days. A small community of communal farms in the middle of the sea made possible by an ancient elder tech irrigation plant. It is is a popular watering hole for travelers journeying between Ilsar and Titan port. Mirsa welcomes everyone looking to start a new life. That's just a random location, you know, I'm not promising anything super fascinating. But if I go to the next page, I have plot hooks, a D10 table plot hooks, and then a D20 table of encounters. So just that's cool. I'm gonna do a random just one for here. this
1: little um, like mini area or a subregion or something, like that.
0: right? For that, that, these are tied to this area, yeah. and then there's a really beautiful uh, point crawl uh, map at the bottom, just of this area, uh-huh. and showing you how, it, each each um, path out of the area is illustrated both by some dots, but also by how long it is between the two locations, like three days uh-huh. or that's cool, four days or four weeks in one case. Um, So I'm just going to give you uh, just one plot hook and one encounter here. Um, At night, a bright flash was seen on the surface of the red moon orbiting Ornn. An hour later, a ball of light rained down somewhere near Glass Reef Canyon. House Care Onar is hiring ink seekers to investigate it before the children of the crimson moon get to it. Now both... House Ker Onar and the children of the Crimson Moon are described in the preceding page, so you, they're not just made up you you know who they are and what they want and ink seekers are people who are basically adventurers looking for um elder ink, which is this like arcane uh, ink that was left behind <laughs> by the preceding by the prior ancient powerful race, but it's also used as um currency so the the stuff you use to cast spells is what you use to. Buy stuff. Oh, that's as well. cool. That's a and nice p- mechanic. And it, so that's right. And I think uh, Vault of does something similar with water. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the idea of ink doing, you know, working that way. And then I'll just do one encounter: an ink-powered machine, the size of a small hut, humming as it hovers through the dunes. Magic does not seem to work around it. So there's just did a random one there. That's cool. Um, anyhow, yeah,
1: I like the ink. Seems like a, like a. W- it's it's like an interesting idea that's weird it doesn't it's not like gonzo it's not totally out of left field but i like that it adds like a weirdness uh, like an alienness to the setting that's not too right. far which i think is right. easy and, and to do with science fantasy
0: yeah the pursuit of ink is kind of the name of the game yeah. the all the there's like there's these like banks that are just like hold on to all the leftover ink and there's rumors (laughs) that they have a machine that can produce it or, or that they want you to go find a machine that can produce it. And there's big, you can like the encounters you come across, they'll always list like, Oh, you see half a tank of inks inside of the machine or whatever. And so that's, it's a good driving force. So I have one more encounter. I want to read weathered bones surround a large crystal shard jutting from the sand, the face of a woman can be seen in the crystal's facets, who gestures to folks to approach. Touching it allows telepathic communication with the woman. Her soul became trapped inside after she died of starvation. She is relieved to finally talk to a living soul again and begs to be carried to a nicer location. <laughs>
1: That's funny. I like that. Nice.
0: So yeah, I just really enjoy it. Um, I've used it a couple times in my own games, yeah. uh, just random Bits from it, I think it's beautiful, as I said, and um, well worth your time. Um, I'm excited for the next issue, yeah. and yeah, that. Thanks for coming to my show and share. Nice, nice. For nice. the electrum Archive.
1: Great, cool. The first one I want to talk about is uh, this is kind of a gamer blast from the past, but it's one I didn't read or uh, you know, kind of wasn't on my radar until I don't know two or three years ago. Um, we're talking about Miss um, this is a TSR release. <laughs> read the full name. Yeah, well, the read, one read specifically the is probably the most popular uh, gazetteer in the Mistara world, and this is uh, the Grand Duchy of Karamekos It was published in 1987, and this was the first gazetteer for Mistara. Um, yes, yeah, so this world appeared in like, uh, like basic D&D, expanded, in expert D&D, and I think canonically all of the B series. Um, modules are set in this in this world, though some of them feel like a stretch. Um, some of them make the pretty like explicit. Like B ten uh is like unquestionably part of this world. Um, but I don't know. Like Palace of the Silver Princess, mm, I don't know. I'm not really buying it. Anyway, um What I think really works about this setting uh is a number of things. Um It's his like pure <laughs> D&D um it seems like every rule in D&D has been just it just fits here like the you know colonialist fantasy of going out and like subjugating the wild is like absolutely just makes sense and works here <laughs> um there is like culturally the people of this land Caramecos Um, Like, the youth, when they get to adolescence, they declare they want to take their shearing, which is a kind of cultural tradition where their family has a big meal, and then they shear off the bottom of their cloaks to make them look like vagabonds, and they send them out in the world, and they don't talk to them again until they've, like, established themselves somehow. So there's, like, you know, baked-in cultural reasons why young people are going out with swords to, like, (laughs) find adventure in the wilds. It's just like every weird little d and Dism just kind of like nestles really snugly in this world. Um, Mistar is a little weird because it's very much all the regions are kind of very much inspired by real world locations, which I don't really love. Um, well,
0: well hold on, yeah. I have a question. Sure, I interrupt you. Yeah, what is the deal with the name? Because uh, Keramecos is, um, mm-hmm. It is a part of Athens. It's where the um, uh, Parthenon is. Doesn't matter. It is where the Acropolis is. That's all I remember. I've been to Athens. Yeah. And
1: uh, (laughs) why is it called Keramikos? Well, good question. So this book is kind of like, I don't know, Eastern European, Slavic a little bit, and also some like. I don't know, Roman, ancient Roman kind of influence, maybe Greek. So the backstory of this region, um, and, and I'll just say, like, I don't always love these real world fantasy analogs, but I think with this one, it works just because like default D&D fantasy is basically a mishmash of like European fantasy tropes anyway. So it doesn't feel like we're in fantasy China and it's this kind of you know, ultra reductive, offensive. You know, broad strokes of what a white person thinks China is like. You know, but elves. Anyway, that's why I think this this one like works a little bit better as far as um, as far as those motifs. But uh, the story here is this land, Traladara. Um It was these kind of prehistoric cavemen basically lived here, and these immortals appeared, and they granted three of these Traladarans their gifts, um, the gifts of like metalworking and animal husbandry, um, like, you know, fe- uh, textile, you know, weaving the loom, etc. And I kind of elevated this people in a very quick amount of time. These three people became like Kings and they led their, their people to this golden age. Um, but after like a series of wars, the King died and it entered a dark period. The land is full of vampires and werewolves and, Um, these are very, like, superstitious people. If you can call them superstitious because everything they're afraid of is actually true. Like, all the weird bits and bobs they're hanging from their houses actually do keep away the werewolves and stuff like that. Um, but this neighboring, conquering country, which kind of feels like, uh, ancient you know, ancient Rome, um, comes and, like, conquers Trelodara, and it's not, like, overtly hostile. They're just kind of, like, we're in charge now. Um, and like weirdly, everyone kind of seems okay with it. <laughs> like the king is very just, he's building roads. Um, you know, they're taxing the cities, but like the people out in the woods, you know, they don't really even feel the effects of this. Um, so that's the I guess that's the the name Karamakos. That comes from like the quasi-Roman Greek conquerors that have come here. Well, it means ceramic. Okay. So <laughs> cool. <laughs>
0: that's what that word
1: means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I'm not surprised at all that the 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 fantasy word has a meaning that doesn't mean anything uh, meaningful. Um, Anyway, it's not... <laughs> what I like about this setting is it kind of gets out of the way. It gives you a decent map. It gives you a basic framework for playing like basic D&D. It's not super heavy-handed as far as like themes and tropes because it's just like supports basic D&D play. Um, it also doesn't have, like, a huge history of novelizations, like, uh, so unlike maybe Faerun, if you want to play Faerun, and, like, you've never read a Drizzt Doerden book, and the one guy on your table has, he's going to be like, ah, actually, actually, you know, we don't really get that here. This is kind of like a broadly painted land that I think really leaves a lot of space for you to kind of insert your own fantasy world, which I appreciate. I think it could support, like, hardcore, you know, brutal... Um, starving mud punk kind of uh, desperate Morkborg play. I think it could support a whimsical age of uh, jousting and fair maidens and Robin Hood kind of play. Um, You know, it's just like fantasy Europe. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think it just does a good job of like zooming in enough to give you a framework, but not so much that it's getting in your way of running your game. So that's what I appreciate about it. Um, I like we zoom in on some of the traditions and culture of everyday people, which I think not enough settings do. I always want to know what the peasants are doing. Like, how are they passing their time? What are they like? What are they into? What are their festivals? How are they worshiping? That does this, um, you know, it's a little clunky, you know, written in the eighties. It's not like the easiest read, but as far as like really vanilla D and D settings go, I think you could do a lot worse than the grand duchy of Kermiko. So I'm into it. Um yeah, this is the good one. This is the one to play if you want like standard DD. I don't know. You ever read this one? Or is this on your is this on your radar at all? I've seen
0: it before, yeah. but no, I didn't know it. I know I know Mistara, but no, I didn't I never I've never looked at it. Can you read a passage you like, or is that not a thing? Oh, I well,
1: do I want to read a passage? I don't know. It's written by Aaron Alston, which I think it's a very uh serviceable job. Nothing strikes me as <laughs> Like overly poetic here. Um let me see. Let me find like the the song of King Helev.
0: You're really selling it here, so cool. I don't
1: know. This isn't this isn't one you're buying for the richness of the language or I don't know. It's just like what I like about this is just it it supplements what I'm bad at. It gives me a big map, it gives me a world that makes sense, it gives me it zooms in on the the minute details, so I can spread my legs and put my world in here. This is like a it's it's a, it's a manual. It's not a it's not a, a you know a rhyme of the ancient mariner here. Okay, it's like okay. pulling out an atlas and being like, read me your favorite part about the map of Nebraska. You know, it's like, well, there's Nebraska, but you're not gonna like what I what I what I what I, what I read it here. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, you don't have to. Well, I
1: won't, and I—that's my final word. But anyway, I like the art. <laughs> um, got a—you got that—got that Clyde Caldwell on the cover. Got that uh, interiors by Stephen Stephen Fabian. Good stuff. Um. Oh yeah. Nice. All right. Okay. Well,
0: it sounds like you're done. Yeah, I'm done. That's all I got to say. It's just okay. like D and D,
1: man. What's your problem with that? Everyone likes playing D. had
0: nothing. I just—you're not doing a good job. Okay. I'm Let not doing a good mine. job.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's true. Anyway, what's, you got something okay. else you want to talk about?
0: Whenever I travel to a new city, what I often do is I go to a game shop and pick up something made by a creator in that town. So um, when I was in San Diego, I went to a couple different shops because they had a lot of them and tried to pick up as much local stuff as possible. Because it's a good way of discovering stuff I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. And when I was in Toronto, I picked up some psionics based game I don't know but it was they told me it was local I had heard of at least one person on the credits so I said screw it I'll I'll buy that Mm -hmm. and when I was in Austin Texas I picked up something called Wex's Drift Okay. and Wex's Drift is a system neutral source book for RPGs it is um, very much system neutral there's no mechanics no assumptions at all um, this is, in fact, uh, <laughs> before I get into that, on the very back of the book, there's a picture of the original map, uh, that, that the city of Wex's Drift is located. Um, and it says, this is the original map of Wex's Drift created while playing a game of The Quiet Year on April 9th, 2017 <laughs> at Vigilante Games in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Anyhow, um, uh, I really like it. It's a very original and accessible source book it is mostly steampunk i would say in setting but um pretty grounded in traditional fantasy it doesn't have things like elves and gnomes and stuff but it does have clear magical implications and um all sorts of weird creatures and yeah so i would say it's it's an alter alternate fantasy steampunk kind of environment um Less focus on the sort of industrial aspects of steampunk, though. Um, the, the, the the setting itself is a, a giant city made of boats tied to each other. Cool. Yeah. It's an island, really. But it's made of boats. Humongous boats and small boats and all kinds of things. And um, the cover, which you can't see, obviously, as a listener, is <laughs> uh, uh, an airship with an old-style boat attached above a number of buildings packed tightly together and then in the background but encompassing the majority of the cover is a enormous kind of kaiju level monster just (laughs) enormous monster now the interesting thing is that this monster is not an antagonist it is a kind of a Just an element like you can from the boat from the island city, you can see this massive creature swimming around, but it never messes with the city. That's awesome. Because the city is built around one of its eggs. (laughs) And it's been that way for like hundreds of years. Uh-huh. But but that's not even what the book is about. That is a part of the book, and there's a whole section on that thing. Um, but the book is divided into neighborhoods, and each neighborhood has people of interest, establishments, adventure hooks, something they call the nuclear option. There's one of those in every chapter. <laughs> and the nuclear option is basically the worst thing that could happen in this area. like. You know, you set off the bomb. So it's it's described as uh, the nuclear option can be a last-ditch effort for the PCs who are in trouble or a goal for an evil campaign. Triggering a nuclear option will often result in many deaths and physical damage to large portions of Wex's drift. Um, so it said like a thing that I guess you can just dangle out there as something that could happen and you sort of work out how that impacts things in your games. It also has a cool section called People on the Street. Which is uh, different than people of interest, by the way. It's just sort of random encounters. Cool. And it, ha- it does have a separate encounter table and a separate flavor table for each chapter. So it's each chapter is kind of like a little city of itself. There are some really cool ones. Um, th- every area is very different. It's not just like another neighborhood. It's like no, there's in this neighborhood you have to swim. You know, it's like right. everything is very different. Um, I'll read a random section. So this is from. The Map of the Sunless Shell. The shell of a titanic monster floats in the southeastern corner of Wex's Drift, tethered by centuries of infrastructure. Folk live both on top of the shell and inside it, beneath a blanket of perpetual shade. And then it goes on to describe each individual neighborhood inside of this <laughs> section. Cool. And then um, and then beneath that, the, s- the spine markets. Hanging from the bones that curve from the top of the shell are the spine markets. Rope ladders and sloped runways crisscross the many shops made of bone, light wood, and whale skin. The most expensive wares ra- reside in the highest shops. Theft was such a common occurrence in the ground markets that the entrepreneurs of the city built these hanging shops to deter all but the bravest thieves. Shoplifters are often sent over a railing, making the more lucrative steals the deadliest. And then it goes on to say some more stuff. That's cool. um, I didn't mention the creators of this. This is from um, Watcher in the Sky is the name of the game company. It is two people, uh, Mike and Diana Yeo. Uh Mike is the lead writer and Diana is the illustrator. I believe she did every illustration in this book. Um, they are very clear illustrations, kind of reminiscent of some versions of The Hobbit I've seen, actually. Cool. <laughs> um, but they're beautifully re- rendered. Um highly detailed appropriate there's a lot of them um i i really think they're quite good um as a team i'm excited to see what they do next yeah they have some some additional writing done by like i guess friends or whatever they'll uh-huh. just have like some npcs are written by these people <laughs> yeah. the introduction was written by this person my guess is it's people who played in their game but yeah that you know so i love that it came from a game of the quiet year i think that's a rad way that to is very cool create settings I, I bet you there's tons of those
1: out I, there I agree. Um, yeah or microscope
0: or a microscope, right, right. Um, yeah, so I, I have nothing but positive things to say about this. It's got weapons in it that are described in system-neutral uh, uh-huh. frameworks. Yeah. It has tons of encounters. It has spells that are system-neutral. Yeah. Um. So, like, there's one here called Doom of Fools. Make a creature feel pain whenever they tell a joke. And then they show you where to learn it and how it works, and they describe it without any mechanics. So it's...
1: It's pretty great. That's cool. Yeah, I like setting. I mean, yeah, isn't that interesting? Like, I, I feel like the settings I like are either these high concept things that I want to base a whole game around or <laughs> like low concept that I could just use as the wallpaper to set my other ideas around. You know what I mean? It's like it's that sweet spot of like... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like providing enough flavor to give you ideas to do things, but not like overstepping into a way that's somehow annoying or overreaching. I don't know how to put a fine point on that. But I, th- I like the high concept idea of this world built on boats around an egg. Like, what a what a world. That's just like so evocative. Like, I love that. I want to pick that up.
0: Well, uh, yeah. what do you have to show for your second show and cool. share? Cool.
1: So yeah, this is another uh, another gamer blast from the past. Not really. This came from I think two thousand nine. <laughs> this is a setting I've played several campaigns in, and it was written for Savage Worlds. It's called Hellfrost, <laughs> um, and it's basically, if I'm gonna be over, overly reductive, it's kind of like a Norse mythology kind of thing, just not. Um, you know, I think as a setting, it's fine. It has a few aspects to it, though, that I think are really, really interesting and that I think are um, underexplored in a lot of campaigns and in a lot of RPGs. Um, so, big picture this world is, um, yeah, it's vaguely like Norse. Um, or Western European, just different kind of areas that have kind of those different flavors. Um, and the god of the sun and the god of fire have vanished, and so the world is getting colder. The gr- harvest seasons are getting shorter, and we're kind of going towards a, a new ice age, is what people predict. Um, also, these new kind of demi-race of people is appearing. They're just, um, you know, they can be any... Uh, kin, you know, human, dwarf, whatever. But some babies are just born bright blue <laughs> and they're impervious to the cold and they're kind of like, <laughs> they're kind of, they're doing their own thing. People hate and fear them, but um, these frostborn are appearing. Some of it is like obviously lifted from George R.R. R. Martin. Um, this was written before the show Game of Thrones, but not before the novels, I believe. Uh, for instance, there's a giant wall of ice in the north that's keeping out scary stuff north of the wall and like you know <laughs> what do they call it what do they I think it's just called the wall. I don't know. I don't have the Gazetteer in front of me. I just have the player's handbook. <laughs> but some of this is like okay, alright, you know, fine, fine. I know what you're doing here. Um the Gazetteer is pretty interesting. There's a lot of very flavorful regions. Um not it's not all home run. Um there is for instance in the south is this Mageocracy where um just you know powerful wizards live in towers and half of them are just totally off the rocker because they're like immortal and they have maddening laws that they are putting on their people and they're fighting all the other mages. Um, it's just weird, weird, like court intrigue plus, um, wizard stuff, which I think is, is a pretty fun region. The thing that I think really for me elevates this and what I really like about this. And I think, I think that, um, people could steal from this is the religion in this world. I always think religion is not uh, as fully incorporated into RPGs as it could be, especially in a world where um, the gods are demonstrably real and (laughs) grant people magic powers. Um, I sometimes hear people bemoan in original D&D when they add the thief class that they say, you know, by adding the thief, that means everyone else is not a thief, right? Like before a fighter, right. Could be a right. thief. You just sneak around, you know, a magic user could be a thief. I actually think a cleric was the mistake and that by, yes. by making yes. someone who's a designated religious person, that means everyone else is not religious. Um, it also raises questions of, wait, so do God do gods exist?
0: And if so, is there only one that exists? And if so, does that make all the rest heathens? And if so, does that mean you go to hell? Right. Like it,
1: yeah. It's, it has all these additional implications. And most games when you play, don't worry about it. That's not important. <laughs> the one guy has magic powers. They come from God. That's not something that gets explored all that much. It's just kind of the, the background. Um, so the gods of Hellfrost are very obviously inspired by the Norse gods. Uh, we've got, you know thor analog we've got the odin we've got freya you know in all but name um but in this world there is a like a pact between the gods that they cannot um directly like enter the world they can't like go and stomp around Uh, but they can and often do talk to people and grant them their magical gifts so these gods are chatty they are always talking to everyone (laughs) they're trying to tempt you away to worship them and they're giving you powers i think that really works in a system like savage worlds where there's no class and you can just pick up a talent where suddenly you have uh cleric powers or you know religious magic powers um but i could see this working in a you know into the yard or cairn or a system like that where there's no class and these gods can just grant uh, you know grant their boons Um, I like it also goes a step farther and every god has let me find the gods page. The gods have their domains, their aspects that they are managing Um, but they also have a list of sins and if you violate these sins, there's minor or uh, major sins Um, you know, one, if you violate a major sin you'll lose your magic powers Um, but if it's it's particularly bad, they'll send the furies to come kill you. so I just love how like meddling these gods are. Let me read some of the gods' like sins because I think these also make for pretty fun role playing too. Yeah. So here's Thunor, which is quite obviously Thor. It's uh, titles: the Hammer, the Storm Lord, Everwind, the Turbulent One. Aspects are wind, weather, sky, air, and lightning. Um, yeah, his they have holy days. So Thunor's holy day is any day after a major storm is considered a holy day. So you're expected to spend that day, you know, in worship. Um, I like that. Um, Duties. So every god has a duty. This is just like the thing you're expected to do if you worship this god. Thunor, pretty simple. You explore the world, oppose slavery and stagnation, ensure freedom, and bring new ideas to the masses. Okay, sins. Um, Yeah, minor slave or minor sins. um, Kind of raising an eyebrow here. Owning a slave. (laughs) Just a minor sin, huh? Okay. Sheltering from a blizzard or storm. (laughs) Uh,
0: Hold on. Yeah. Hold
1: on. <laughs> is being a slave a sin?
0: I mean, what is the... I don't it's think only, that's a sin. How is that? to Thunor. Because here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Plenty of slave owners were religious. Yeah. And they believed it was their God-given right. So in this world, it's not a God-given right. Instead, it's just like a minor annoyance to... Just
1: a Thunor. <laughs> just a Thunor. There's plenty of other gods that uh, that might be a major sin. Um, Here's some major sins. Not creating a wind each month. (laughs) Using oars on a ship. Killing a flying creature. Um, And then mortal sins. This would be the furies are after you. Supporting rigid or oppressive governments. Um, And then because it's Savage Worlds, you get um, specific spells from worshipping this god. So in this case, your signature power is you can fly. Right off the bat, if you worship Thor, you take the, the, in this case, the talent or the edge you can fly. That's your spell. That's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, there's a ton of gods here. And I like the variety. Some of them are kind of esoteric, some of them are very straightforward. Um, but, yeah, like, I just love that um, it goes that far. I think with players, I love to give my players a lot of agency, right? But, like, the will of the gods and their meddlings like that's kind of like the dm's way (laughs) like you can have your own battles in the gods you know and express that through the world and let the players interact with that but um i think it's a fun chess piece for a gm to to get to move around and attempt players with you know um you know oh the evil god of frost thrym will give you frost powers if you call out to him here you know there there's a lot of fun potential there um so yeah, Hell Frost. This was written, again, uh, for Savage Worlds by Paul Wiggy, Wade Williams, who has written a ton of Savage Worlds books. Um, and there's a ton of, of Hell Frost books, too. I have a few of them. I have the Gazetteer, which is like the world. Um, you get all the regions. I think there's individual region guides. There's a ton here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Well, thank you for introducing
0: that to me. I mean, I was aware of Savage Worlds. And I've never played it. Yeah. But-
1: uh yeah i've played a lot of savage worlds i'm a fan i think it's good i think it's underrated you know what it is it's uncontroversial it's uncontroversial and i feel like it's like a weird middle of the road niche like it's obviously not as big as like paizo you know Mm -hmm. not as big as some you know i think arguably free league is probably bigger you know there's some publishers out there that are bigger but these guys i mean this is like a full-time outfit they've got a warehouse they've got employees it's like a funny little middle of the road gamer niche here um yeah those guys have
0: definitely have employees they definitely have like a yeah they're it's like you'd expect them like paizo has like 80 employees uh-huh. i doubt the what are they called pinnacle right? yes pinnacle. um that they have anything close to that but right. yeah they are definitely between paizo and some indie outfit
1: yeah um, yeah, they have like yeah, p- pretty big kickstarters. Like most of them doesn't really interest me, but I don't know, every once in a while I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on with what's going on with Savage Worlds? What's going on here?" Right. Yeah.
0: They are uh, a decent company as far as I know, but yeah. they haven't had any
1: weird stuff come up. Yeah, they mostly <laughs> stay out of the news um as, you know, controversy-wise. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. That's I think un- though if you know, um it's again it has like a learning curve. I feel like it's not The easiest system to jump into, but I think it's pretty fun. It's pretty, like, medium to moderate crunch. I feel like miniatures and, like, frantic tabletop tactical combat. I think it's a good system for that. I don't know. I'm a fan. I'm a savage guy. Well, thank you for...
0: What was the name of that supplement again? Hell Frost. Hell Frost, thank you. Hell or Hail? Hell
1: yeah that's confusing, oh, oh yeah in this world there's things. there's cold fire that can uh f- give you frost burn
0: <laughs> so is it just is it just cold?
1: yeah, it's cold, it's like fire, but it's very <laughs> it's, cold
0: it's just cool, okay, well, all right well um this has been a show and share. thank you for bringing some stuff and giving me the opportunity to read and Talk about some of the stuff I like.
1: Um, Thank I you for again. bringing stuff. I,
0: okay, I'd like to do this again in the future. I think it's a good way of sneaking in supplements and settings that we wouldn't normally review. Oh here. yeah, just,
1: for sure. We got I got piles of. We're these not things. like
0: right. Me too. I there's a danger though because this podcast is about critical feedback, not just, just talking about stuff we like. But once in a while, it's nice to just have a stuff we like, huh?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's Perhaps. nice to like. I'm not. I wouldn't say like, Hellfrost is me giving this overwhelming endorsement, but I like the concepts of these like the religion aspects and I think it's interesting to talk like beyond the setting, like what works there and what you can incorporate into your game. So maybe that's a little bit of a a free pass. Well there's I all
0: know. yeah, I, no, and that's fine. I, I see it more as like here's stuff that you might not know about. Like yeah. <laughs> like I have the Black Isle Gazetteer. Do you know what that is?
1: No, I don't know that.
0: It was this like it's no I don't think you can get it anymore I think they they pulled it down because they were afraid of some kind of legal issues but basically it is a crowdsourced island where each person did their own uh, hex on this island and so it's it, it ranges in quality first let me just say yeah, yeah. but it's kind a of a of k- cool thing it, it probably has some problematic people in it I haven't actually checked it's been a while since I I got it but it, you know I've got that and I've got the um, uh, petty gods, okay. as well. That, got, that came out a few years ago. That they got that also got pulled and then put back. Hmm. That's basically just lists and lists of gods. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these weird crowdsourced yeah. Lulu prints that you can find. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's what I'll do next time is bring bring out some of this weird stuff that I've picked yeah. up over the years.
1: Yeah. Save it for uh, save it for circle time, pal. That's next time. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, well this that's has been it between two Karens. That's the show. I-
0: can I can I do the thing?
1: That's it, folks.
0: Nope. No, let me just do the thing. This this has been Between Two karens. You can find us at patreon.com slash between two cairns. Sign up now and we'll send you a sticker at some point. We also have uh, a Discord channel on the Cairn Discord. And you can email us your questions at between two cairns at gmail.com. That's Otherwise, right. Otherwise, uh, see you it's all, all true. next time.
1: Yep. Keep, keep doing what you do and schmoopy doopy baloopy doop. That's what we always say. That's my catchphrase. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. Schmoopy sh- sh- doopy baloopy doop. One more for the for, one more for the fans. One more for the, okay. the listeners. Mm-hmm. Alright, goodbye. Schmoopy okay. doop. Bye. Bye. Schmoopy doop, y'all.